0: Tuesday, May 12th, we have the NL East edition of State of the Division. R.M. Layton, Ryan Finkelstein, who, Finkelstein, you finally corrected me. <laughs> Finkelstein, which is crazy that after all these months and now like more than a year of knowing you, you just recently corrected me on Finkelstein when you visited me in New York. You went on a whole trip through all of New York. You got to see the, the Mets play and then every minor league affiliate. Uh, but as we were talking about just before recording, the Mets might drop a series, and it could be to the lowly Nationals, who we've been making fun of this entire podcast so far.
1: It would be the perfect series for them to lose. The irony is just too great for it not to happen. It's you know to to go through every single series. The fact that even the last one that they won basically on the strength of that ridiculous comeback against the Phillies. So to lose this one against that Nats team. When going into this series, I think all three starters for the Nats had ERAs like over six eight. So uh, you thought for sure the Mets would sweep this series. And you know what? That's baseball for you. Any team could win any series. Well, we'll start with the Mets because, you know, they did not look great uh,
0: yesterday. Uh, when yeah. as, as of what now we're recording this on a Thursday. They didn't look great on Wednesday, right? Tyler, Tyler McGill got knocked around for the first time yeah. this year. Um, not really a big deal. It's just one game. But the Mets are still 21-11, and 11, pacing the division. Nobody else in the NL East is above 500. Uh, we'll get to the... Cluster that is second place or close to it uh with the three other teams. And then of course the nationals at the bottom, uh, but potentially even the nationals could close the gap a little bit. Uh McGill struggling. I mean, I felt like he was kind of due for a bad outing. It's just crazy how when you have one bad outing this early in the year, now his ERA is at four, four, one. The FIP is still three, three, five. McGill is still. Very good, but he has been ticking down a little bit over the last couple of starts. How concerned are you with what you've seen from McGill? And on top of that, if McGill struggles, how vulnerable could this rotation be for the time being?
1: I think it really is a question right now. Who's going to end up solidifying their place in the rotation? Is it going to be McGill or Taiwan Walker? And I think that competition just got a little bit more interesting with the way McGill's looked the last couple of times out. Game of three runs to the Braves. It wasn't a bad start, but it's really not his best. And then obviously getting knocked around by the Nats. You don't want to see that. I do think it's way too early to just overreact to a single start. You know, McGill, I think he had maybe six days rest going into that start. Sometimes but when starters get extra days, it can kind of go against um, them a little bit. I think he was leaving a lot of pitches over the heart of the plate. And Look, the Nationals, we'll talk about a little bit. I'm not saying they're a great offensive team, but they have been swinging the bats pretty good as of late. So it's not um, as bad as it would seem on the surface to give up eight runs to a team that's 10 games under 500. If he has another couple of bad starts, I'd be a little bit concerned. The one thing I'll say, though, is uh, going into the year, if you were to just say, like, in spring training, you would get a month as good as McGill's April. You would have taken that as his production for the whole year. So I think... You know, the expectations coming into the season were, weren't that great for McGill. So he's already out before them to such an extent that I'm not overly concerned, assuming Jacob DeGrom is healthy this year.
0: And something that just stands out to me with the Mets, right? Is I mean, the pitching's going to be fine. Like you said, even if McGill struggles, DeGrom's going to come back. They've got other pieces, even. David Peterson, he's on the IL right now, but he is look good, you know, in spot starts and can, can do that for he's, you.
1: He's actually in, in Syracuse. So, so he, he's just in AAA. And he's just and in he's AAA still now. He's pitching well there too. Yeah.
0: yeah. He was, he's been good at the big league level so far, a one eight, one eight, nine ERA through his 19 innings. And he's given you four good outings, three good starts. He's more of that swing man, but again, another good depth piece that can spot start as you, you try to get by until, you know, DeGrom is healthy. Again, Trevor Williams was good in spurts last year, too. So there's there's some depth if there's some of those inevitable injuries. What really I look at, and the only position that really concerns me with the Mets is the catching position. And uh, can that hold the Mets back? I, we're looking at James McCann, who has been terrible as a, as a New York Met. He's hitting 196 so far this year. I can't speak too much to the defense, but I don't know if it's been good enough to be able to compensate for what has been Nothing offensively and uh Tomas Nito has not been very good either, but at least he's a little bit more reliable defensively. You know, do you think that this catching situation could be a problem for the Mets if we're talking about a team that's trying to win the World Series?
1: I think that combined with the lack of production they've gotten out of DH, maybe, but I I imagine at some point that's going to resolve itself. Whether it's a prospect coming through, Mark Vientos, a couple home runs yesterday starting to heat up a bit. So we'll see if he can turn things around. But I think that's the question. You can't have two spots in the lineup that aren't producing. Uh, But I I think that, especially with the DH, the Mets can be fine just going defense with their catchers. And McCann has been good behind the plate. Obviously, he caught that no-hitter. He's been great controlling the running game. Tomas Nito, one of the best pitch framers in baseball. So I think the Mets are okay, but only if they find another answer. Because right now, Dominic Smith the DH, just has not been good or playing first base wherever they put them. Um, that, that, that has been one hole I would see right now. And, and again, it's been surprising to see Sterling Marte off to a slow start.
0: Uh, Eduardo Escobar has cooled off a little bit. But again, this is an offense that then Alonzo steps up, then McNeil or Lindor, who has also tailed off a little bit. But it seems like the, this lineup is so loaded that a guy will step up and you know be able to contribute when when the other guys are are, are doing a little bit uh, not as well, I guess it would be the best way to put it. Looking at the bullpen, Edwin Diaz has been phenomenal. Um, and that is a huge, huge, huge development, you know, for the Mets. They need Diaz to be that lights out closer. Drew Smith has probably been one of the best, you know, stories, I think, out of the reliever world so far this year. Yet to give up a run in 13 and the third innings, punched out 17. But outside of those guys, Jason Shreve as well has been good. But outside of those guys – which again, that's a good back end of your bullpen, but the middle inning guys, I'm a little worried about the consistency there. Could the bullpen be a bit of an Achilles heel for the Mets down
1: the line? Yeah, I think it could be, but again, I think what we've seen so far is that they really have been performing well. You know, guys like Adam Montevito and Steph Lugo have had pretty good outings at times. They've had a couple bad ones mixed in there. I think Trevor May is going to be a big question mark. He's on the aisle right now. Can he return to what he was last year when he gets off the I.L.? They're going to need him for sure. So I think that this team uh, is certainly going to be looking to add to the bullpen at the deadline. And then the other thing that I think could impact them is, you know, this depth in their rotation could start to show up in their bullpen later in the season. Like I really could see Tyler McGill end up in the pen and see that stuff really play up out of the pen as well. Or maybe he can throw a little bit more consistently in the upper 90s. So I think that's where this could go right now. I'm not too worried about it.
0: Looking at the Braves now uh, and a team that, you know, you talk about worry right now, they're not scaring you, but uh, there could be a, a very, very, a time very soon where we look back and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, the Braves are are closing in They're closing in, are closing in kind of like they did last year in the second half of the season. And then all of a sudden they're right there with you at the top of the division, Ronald Acuna being back in the fold is absolutely huge. He's already starting to heat up at the plate. Uh, but the offense has been surprisingly weak and, and it's just across the board. The Braves really haven't excelled at, at necessarily anything at this point. Uh, Matt Olson has been good, but he's even slowed down a bit. Ozzie Albies has been brutal. And what we talked about him in the last, in the last episode, just has not been good. 286 on base, 686 OPS. Uh, Austin Riley has been one of their best hitters, but then you look at Ozuna black hole, Duvall black hole, Rosario out. Um, this offense looks a bit vulnerable, and we haven't even gotten to the pitching side of things yet, but uh, I'm not worried about the, the offense long-term again, they'll find a way to, to make it work. And and again, having Acuna back in the fold helps, but with the way that the pitching is looked, which we'll get to this offense has to be better.
1: Yeah. I honestly wonder not just to be the, the cocky Mets guy on the show today, but, I do wonder at what point in the season do we look at the Braves differently and think that, you know, is it really just the Mets division and then Braves, Phillies, Marlins are all going to be angling for wild card spots? I, I don't know. I mean, you look at this point, if we said at the beginning of the season it would be Mets, Braves, 1-2 in this division, we'd be like, okay, obviously, sure. But then if we said the Braves would be two games under and, you know, six back, we'd be stunned. And I, I look at some of the holes that they have and, You know, when we watched them win the World Series last year, I I was wondering how were they getting this production from the Duvalls and the Rosarios of the world? and Would that be sustainable going into this year? You know, you throw Zuna into that mix now. I I just don't know what they're going to get out of those guys. I I do think that, you know, the strength of this team is Olsen and Acuna and Riley, and that is about as good as it gets when it comes to three hitters at any lineup. darno has been pretty solid this year. So they have guys that are certainly capable, but – Are they going to put it all together? And then, you know, right now, Charlie Morton did have a good start against the Mets, you know, pitching five scoreless. But like we've talked about on past shows, I don't know about this pitching right now. Uh, So I think there's there's a lot more questions I have with the Braves than I do with the Mets. And I don't know if I'm just being a a homer there. Well,
0: you know, they're in a tough spot, too, where a lot of those guys that they bought low on. Of course, you win the World Series. It's hard to keep the band together. That's always what happens. And a lot of those role players wanted to capitalize on on that bag. And, you know, I know Soler, MVP of the World Series, goes and gets his bag with the division rival Marlins. Uh, They decide to bring back Rosario and and Duvall had you know another year of control. Both those guys have not been good. Um, they let Jock Peterson walk and Jock Peterson has looked really good in flashes with the giants. And they go out and get Alex Dickerson, almost like a swap there figuring that he can kind of take over and fill that role. And Dickerson has not been good. Uh, So it, it was a little bit of like pick, pick and choose here. And it seems like they may not have picked the right guys in the early going Jock would probably change the outlook for this team a ton. And I think he'd be much better to have. I know it's hard to pile on Rosario. I know he's dealing with a, with an eye thing and some other issues as well. Uh, but probably better off getting the younger, more athletic and you know more dynamic Jock Peterson, who, again, also really rose to the occasion last year. Uh, between the pitching and the offense, I think both could come together, but one's going to really need to. And I look at the pitching. Kyle Wright looked bad in his last outing. But again, he was kind of due for finally coming down to earth. But I still think he is going to be a legitimate number three type of guy for them all year long. Maybe even better than that. Max Freed is proven himself as an ace in this game. Uh, I am concerned about Charlie Morton and Ian Anderson just can't seem to to have an easy first inning, Uh, but I think Ian Anderson, he's always a guy that gets better as the year goes on and in the postseason. I think he's more than proven himself already in two postseasons now that he can just pitch in the postseason against the Dodgers and some of the best lineups. And I'm not worried about Ian Anderson either. So I love what I've seen from Strider. I think the bullpen overall is fantastic. Jansen's starting to look really good. Minter has been great. Smith has been good. I think the bullpen will be fine, and so that's why I think the Braves are going to be able to hang around there. I just don't know if they'll have that regular season domination uh, to be able to keep up with the Mets. But the thing is, is the Braves just need to find a wild card spot, and then you know all bets are off. They can easily make another run again. And,
1: and I was just looking up now; uh, it looks like Mike Soroka is doing some defensive drills now. They're hopeful that's to come huge. back after the All Star break, so Soroka can be what he was. Obviously, um, it's a couple years removed now because of the, the Achilles injuries, but. Uh, that's a real X factor for them. And I also think that Anthopolis, we know he's not going to sit on his hands at the deadline. Even if they don't trade any significant prospects, he's going to mix and match. He's going to try to find some value pieces. And and they're going to look a little bit different come July and August, I think. And I think Michael Harris
0: is, is one of my favorite prospects in baseball, just baseball top 100 guy, great bat to ball, good athlete could come up and help them a little bit. That might be a lot to ask, but they have some trade chips too. As you mentioned, a lot of you know, decent pitchers. You look at like the Tucker Davidsons, the Tukey Toussaint's, maybe not as exciting, but Bryce Elder. I don't think they'd trade Strider now, uh, but Ryan Cusick, they just dealt. They dealt some of those guys that I think they have enough arms that they could put it together, package with the Drew Waters or somebody, and they could go get a decent bat. And and that's really all they need. I think they just need a little bit of an ignition there uh, that would that would kind of put them over the top, and I'm expecting them to do that as they continue to feel things out, as you mentioned. Alex Anthopoulos doesn't stand pat. Another guy who doesn't stand pat is Dave Dombrowski. And the Phillies, look, they don't look great. Uh, They're starting to look a little bit better. I think every team in the NL East over the last couple games has looked a little bit better uh, besides the Mets uh, over the last game. Uh, But that's about it. Uh, The Phillies, look, we we know it has to be offense for them. And, you know, Gene Segura has been phenomenal. Uh, Nick Castellanos has been consistently good. Bryce Harper is suffering a little bit of that MVP hangover. But if, if the MVP hangover is an 847 OPS, that's fine with me. JT Realmuto has not been good. And I think that stands out. Hoskins is heating up. And I think that's been a big help for the Phillies. But ultimately it all comes down to the pitching, right? And we we've hammered home these same points over and over again. So to, to try to get in on a different angle here, you know, do you think Dave Dombrowski goes all in and just depletes whatever is left of the farm system? Or do they try to run it with this team? Because the Phillies do have two really, really darn good pitching prospects in Mick Abel, who has been phenomenal, and Andrew Painter, their 2021 first-round pick, who has not given up a run in 20 innings. He's striking out 54% of batters in way. He's a freak. He is going to be a top 100 guy, and he's now solidifying himself as a stud. So they have those two guys that could go get them just about. Uh, you package those two. Your, your system's going to be the worst in baseball, but you could go get somebody good. Does Dombrowski further deplete this thing? Or do they, do you think they feel like they can, you know, get it done, get to the postseason with this group?
1: If Dombrowski was a rational GM um, I would say, why would you even consider doing that? I mean, if you're thinking about the future of this organization, I don't know how you can watch what we've seen so far this season. and think this is the team to go all in on, particularly considering who's standing in your way in your own division uh, with, with the Mets and even the Braves. I just don't think that this team's close enough to make a move like that. I think that you're better off trying to rely on some of your young players and hope that you get some guys to pop, but there's just not a lot there either. So I would say this is a team that we always said was this puncher's chance type club, and I would I would just put confidence in that lineup um, to, to try to find a way to win games. But if it's me, why would you deplete that farm system any further? You could set yourself back a couple more years uh, I just don't think you can do that. I really don't. So to play the devil's advocate here, you've got a 30-year-old Nick Nastia, you got a 29-year-old
0: Bryce Harper, you got a 31-year-old JT Romuto, and you know even Gene Segura, 32 years old. You look at the rotation: 29 uh, years old Aaron Nolan, 34-year-old Kyle Gibson, 32-year-old Zach Wheeler. Uh, th- this team, it, if it's not now, it's got to be in the next two years. What do you think? Are, are they? I mean, well, here's they think my question: close. What,
1: what do they need? Uh, are, are we saying go out and get an arm? Are we saying go out and get a center fielder? And I think in either of those instances, the one thing I would say for sure is you better not deplete the farm for a rental. At least get somebody yeah, with two or control. three years of control that can be part of of this small window you have with the Castellanos, the Schwarbers, you know Harper and all that. But I just don't know what they necessarily would be targeting. To me, it's either center field or starting pitcher. Um, and then obviously the bullpen has its holes, but I don't know if you want to deplete the farm for that. Center field needs to be done. And I think you
0: know, Ramon Ramon Loriano is someone that I think they could attain without parting with both of their studs. Loriano comes with control, he gives you great defense, which they freaking need out there in center field, it gives them speed too. Cause I look at this lineup, they just they need speed. JT Real might be their fastest guy that's in the lineup some days. Obviously pitching is needed as well. Um, so I, that's going to be the interesting thing, but the pitching hasn't even been that bad, which is, which is the wild part. I'd almost rather it have been terrible. And you could say, okay, that's what they need. Wheeler needs to be better. And he's coming back from the IL and, and he will be better. I would go, I would go bullpen and, and center field. So you go to Oakland, go get Trevino and go get Laureano. And now you are looking a lot better. And that's, that's what I would do if I were the Phillies. And, and I think that really does change their outlook a ton. You have Ramon Uriano at the top of your lineup. You get another arm in your bullpen and then Zach Wheeler continues to improve. Uh, that is a team that now looks a little bit more complete and makes a little bit more sense. I think you got to find a way to do that. If you're the Phillies, I don't know if that requires trade. You could throw Veerling in there. Like he's still a chip. Uh, they could probably make the deal happen, but I think, I think you got to do it Ryan. Cause they're trying to win now. And even if you don't think they can totally do it, which I agree with you to a degree, I feel like they got to put their best shot forward, right? It's like you say, puncher's chance
1: swing. I think that the, the big question is going to be, where are they at, at the deadline? You know, this isn't a team that's going to make a move right now. So can the roster that have stay above water and at least be a little bit over 500 when we get closer to the deadline, where it makes sense to make that move? Because to me, If they play the way they have so far, and you're at the deadline and you're seven games under 500, and you know eight games out of a wild card or something crazy, why would you buy? But I do think that, like like you said, this is a team with all the pieces that they've they've accumulated that should be trying to win now. And we know that they have one of the most win now GMs in maybe MLB (laughs) history. So you're right. I would imagine that they're going to be buying a lot more than I can envision them selling.
0: Talking about you know win now GM, and he won. Presently at the time with, with the Marlins and and this is a Marlins team that's, you know, maybe not all in on the win now mode, but they've definitely tried to communicate that they are trying to win now and uh, that they want to be competitive at this present moment. And they, they showed signs of it. They rattled off seven straight wins and just as quickly rattled off seven straight losses or whatever it was. And uh, almost all the losses were one run. And they all count the same, but it is worth noting. And I think it is a testament to the fact that they don't have a ninth inning guy. Um, the bullpen overall, you'll get cumulative bullpen ERA. It's been good. You'll get the ninth inning ERA. It's been horrible. Uh, Anthony Bender is an independent league guy that was signed and it's been a phenomenal story, but that can't be your closer. Anthony Bass has actually been much better this year. Cole Solster was a good acquisition. Tanner Scott's with good in spots, but this is a bad bullpen. Uh, I, I don't care what the overall stats say. They're heavily, heavily boosted by Cody Poteet going mop up duty in the middle innings, going 16 innings and only giving up one run. And he's been fantastic. I actually think Poteet's perfect for that role. But again, throw him in the ninth. He's getting shelled. This is not a bullpen of guys that you can trust in the ninth inning, in the big spots. And I really think that's the big subtractor from this Marlins team. The offense, look, it's not great on paper. Not great. But it's been producing as much as it ever has in the last, at least since the Stanton-Yelich days. And you look at Jazz Chisholm Jr., that's a superstar in the making right here. I I wrote that article. You know, we keep waiting for him to slow down. Check out that article on JustBaseball.com if you haven't seen it. And, and, you know, you might buy in a little bit more because I am buying in. And I was very cautiously optimistic. Now I'm all in. He might slump a little bit here and there. But what Jazz Chisholm's doing versus what Jesus Sanchez did to start the year is very different. And that's why Jesus Sanchez is hitting 217 now and Jazz Chisholm still hitting 295 with a 947 OPS and just hit a three run shot off of Mark Melanson again now in the ninth inning. The guy's just clutch as hell, too.
1: He is 100%. And I think, you know, when it comes to, to the reliever, you know, question that you have there, I don't know why I thought of this, but it reminds me of, of Henry Mejia. Sometimes even even if it's not the the best of pitchers, there's certain guys that can thrive in a closer role that have a certain, um, you know, flourish for like the big moment. And I just don't know if the Marlins have that. So I think that's something that they have to try to find, whether it's a prospect coming up or whether it's making a trade. I I do want to kind of clear the paint for you, you know, call an isolation play. (laughs) um, Just 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 set you up here. Uh, What is going on here? What is the holdup on, on Max Meyer? Why are they still giving Hernandez more starts? Just please have fun with that. This is me lobbing the ball to you.
0: Yeah, well, I'm about to dump this thing in because Eliezer Hernandez has been one of the worst pitchers in baseball this year. One of the worst pitchers in baseball. He has to be so perfect to get guys out. I think he could be okay as a middle reliever because the slider is good. Go out there, throw the slider 80% of the time. You're fine. You can't do that as a starter. And his fastball is 90 to 91. He's literally Max Meyer if Max Meyer's stuff ticked down like three notches, right? It's it's fastball, slider, and experimental changeup. The difference is Meyer's fastball is 97. Meyer's slider is one of the best sliders in minor league baseball and is a big league plus-plus pitch. And the changeup has already shown more signs of life. And Meyer's just an all-around more athletic and, and younger and more impressive pitcher. There is zero reason other than I don't know what the Super 2 deadline, I don't know. I usually try to ignore that date, but there's no reasonable explanation for a team that's trying to win now to let Eliezer Hernandez, who was allowed eight home runs in 29 and two-thirds innings, make another start. You can't throw away ball games. I know it's a long season. I know it's 162, but if, if you're getting upset, fans get upset about, you know, tough losses at the end or whatever it might be. How could you get upset about a tough loss and then throw out Eliezer Hernandez the next day? Right? Like cause that's just mailing it in the next day too and throwing that game away for the most part. It's outrageous that you could have a guy that could end up being, you know, the second you plug him in, a top 40 pitcher in baseball, maybe better than that, sitting in AAA proving everything already, nothing left to prove, and you don't call him up and you opt to continue to pitch a guy that has a 6.37 ERA and a 1.4 WHIP. Uh, it, it's it's embarrassing,
1: and, and I'll tell you. You know, we talk a lot about comparing this team to the the Mets team in 2015, as far as the young starting pitching, and that was the first thing that started to get that that team on the right track was promoting a Noah Syndergaard and then a Stephen Matz, and it just gives your your team such a shot in the arm when you get one of these top pitching prospects up and they're dealing. And you're like, oh my god! Every fifth day, we now have such a better chance to win we've yep. been throwing this starter out there's giving up two home runs every start and now we got a guy that can strike out 10 and dominate and give us a real chance i think that's a move you got to make and i'm shocked they didn't make it considering this 10 game stretch they just went through to me it just seemed like everything was lined up that that they would call him up and, and just roll with that five-man rotation we've been so excited to see
0: So we'll see if they want to call him up at home now. They were on a West Coast trip. Maybe that was part of the reason why now you have him make his debut at home against either the Brewers or the Nationals. They have a nice little homestand coming up. If he's not called up over this homestand, you're going to see me on Twitter starting to be a little bit more outspoken about this. And I've already been a bit outspoken, but I mean, I will be even more outspoken because he's got a 172 ERA in AAA, 31 in the third innings, 39 Ks, nine walks. What else do you need to see? And he's, he did this against, you know, a white Sox triple a lineup that had yoan Moncada and a bunch of other, you know, either former big leaguers, quadruple a guys, like tough guys to get out. This isn't dominating low a pitching he struck out Ronald Acuna on three pitches. Like he has shown that he can do it. He did it in spring training as well. You saw what he did to the Mets in spring training, even yeah. against some very good hitters uh, just made them look very uncomfortable. He is extremely talented and uh, the, the Marlins are throwing away ball games right now. If he's not on the mound, uh, we'll wrap up with the nationals and we're going to be a little bit more positive than usual because you have some numbers that, you know, can paint the picture of, of how decent their offense has been. Um, and I think Josh bell is, is a big reason behind that. I mean, that guy has been fantastic. And I'm going to say, I've been very wrong about Josh bell. I thought he was toast. I too much zone swing and miss. I hated, I hated his swing. And he's shoved it up my, you know what? He has been phenomenal this year.
1: He has been. And, you know, I I was previewing this series with the the Nationals and the Mets and heading in. The Nationals had scored more runs than the Braves, the Phillies and the Marlins this year. And that's not to say those are three juggernaut of offenses. We know they've all struggled, but we expected the Nationals to be terrible outside of Juan Soto. And you look at the last week in particular, uh, they have seven players in their lineup with an OPS of 788 or higher. Michael Franco is that 788 and you look through it. Nelson Cruz getting going in OPS over a 1,000. Acidas Escobar in OPS over a 1,000. Josh Bell, 966. Kybert Ruiz, 916. And then Juan Soto, fifth at 899. So suddenly they have pieces that are functional in this lineup. Yadiel Hernandez is at a great start to the there's, year as well. There's
0: no way he keeps doing that. There's no shot.
1: No way. But, but again, I, I'm not saying that this lineup is going to keep it up. I don't think they will. But what I will say is that We've seen other teams in baseball look a lot worse than the nationals and the expectations are so low for this team that even though they're 10 games under and we're 32 games into the season, I feel like they've been better than I thought they would be, which sounds stupid because they're still terrible. But I mean, look, the results have not been as awful. And hey, Patrick Corbin even had a good start this week.
0: You know, I'll, I'll back that up with this. You know, I thought Cruz looked cooked. He's looked really good over the last week, as you mentioned you look at what they've gotten from Kiebert Ruiz, which this is the expectation that you're going to get for hopefully the next decade. Right? So so these are not just lightning in a bottle guys, Josh Bell will probably slow down a little bit, but he had a great year last year and continues to like mature and get better at the plate. He's 29. So a lot of guys kind of figure their approach out around this time. Uh, Franco, I could see a 700 OPS the entire year, which is fine, 720 OPS. Yadio Hernandez, look, he's not going to be a 900 OPS guy, but he was quietly decent last year, 742 OPS in 112 games. He played more of a utility role now playing an everyday role, so it's a little bit different, but he's no slouch. Um, And, you know, we know what Juan Soto can do. Robles has been frustratingly bad I think he's kind of the ship has kind of sailed on him offensively but this is a team that I think if they could if, if you catch them on the wrong day they could score some runs in a hurry uh, with with what they have going on I think that's fair I think when you look at the pitching side of things that's where it's really really disastrous uh, it's just really 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 bad Patrick Corbin is slated as their ace so to speak. Um, they do have Steven Strasburg coming back whenever I think they should just give him the full year off. Um, Josiah Gray is, is really solid. I really do like what I've seen from him. Eric Fetty has somehow been okay, but Aaron Sanchez and John Adon have been maybe one of the worst starting pitching duos in baseball. The bullpen's not good. Um, they don't really have that much reinforcement coming in. Pitching's going to be where the disaster is. But again, I mean, if they catch Corbin or Gray on the right day and the offense is, you know, putting up a decent amount of runs, they could beat you. They're not the worst team in the world. I think there's some much worse teams out there. Eh, there's a couple of teams that are worse. I would say
1: there's a few, there's a few. I think that again, the expectations are really low. I'm not a hundred percent sold. They're going to lose a hundred games. That's where I'm at. They might lose 97. It might be a little bit better than I thought it we
0: was. We said going. last time that they were going to lose
1: a hundred, right? I think I might've even said that they would lose 110. So you're uh, shifting your, you're shifting your prediction there. I'd still say they lose 100, but I'm getting closer and closer to thinking that there's a chance that they uh, they might win 63. Maybe. You hear that, Nationals fans? There's a chance.
0: There's a chance that you don't lose 100 games, and with with the new lottery system, you should just want to win as many as possible. Yeah. When you know you're going to come and last and make it a little bit more entertaining and watch these guys can, can continue to progress. But Josh Bell is going to be a nice little trade piece, I think, for these Nationals, and it'll be interesting to see what teams are you know looking to acquire a switching bat that's walking more than he strikes out right now, which I never thought we'd see from Josh Bell. We have some divisional games coming up in the next couple of weeks, but a little bit of a reprieve from that in the short term, right? I, not not too many division matchups coming up before we wrap up.
1: I don't think so. I know for the Mets, they're playing the Mariners over the weekend. So no uh, division there. And I'll then, be at uh, that ball game on Sunday. Right. Nice, nice. And then they put the Cardinals. So, yeah, for the Mets, they're not facing the division for a little bit now.
0: Uh, yeah, and the Marlins uh, will have the Nationals actually at home on the 16th, I believe. So that'll be a little bit of a quote-unquote division matchup there. And then I, I think we're due for some Phillies and Braves soon. So we'll we'll, we'll have that to talk about at some point, uh, which will be a fun series to kind of see which direction one of the two teams will head in uh, once those two teams eventually square off again. Uh, but any final thoughts before we wrap up this edition of the
1: State of the Division? No, I don't think so. I think uh, we, we've we seen this division kind of uh, stay kind of the same through this early part of the season, and we'll see if one of these other teams can kind of catch up to the Mets a little bit over the next week here.
0: I think we're going to start to see either the Marlins – one of the three teams I think is going to kick it in gear. It's going to be interesting to see who yeah. does it, of the Braves, Phillies, and Marlins – That'll do it for this episode. We will talk to you next Thursday on the NL East edition of State of the Division, but stay tuned every single week to stay briefed on every single division in Major League Baseball.